I get the like, oh yeah, like I totally, you know, appreciate how vocal you are and I appreciate what you do for your community and then, or I'm such a fan of your work. And then these people never hire me and it has nothing to do with my work not being good enough. It has everything to do with, oh, you have a picture of Obama next to a picture of a dude naked and that makes me uncomfortable. Hello and welcome to the Open Up Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of the entertainment industry by opening up the experiences of its diverse artists. Thank you for being here. Welcome back if you're returning. Welcome for the first time if you're new. And I, as always, am so glad to have you here to share another amazing conversation with you today. Now, I'm sure you'll agree with me when I say that when an artist is in front of the camera, they tend to get a lot of our attention. Your favorite actors, your favorite singers, you Google them, you learn about them, you watch interviews with them, you maybe listen to a podcast about them, whatever it might be. We tend to focus on them a lot more than the people and artists behind the camera. And in this episode four, I'm thrilled to share a conversation with an artist, with a person whose role is not only behind the camera, but wielding it. And not only a diverse labeled artist, but also arguably one of the most eminent and iconic artists in their field today. Our guest identifies as queer, white, cisgendered, and also shares this about their ID. I actually very under the radar, at least publicly, changed my pronouns to he, him, and they, them, which was something I wanted to do for a while, but didn't want to, like, make a to-do about it. It just kind of was a thing for me personally. That you like to keep it more fluid? All-inclusive is that, like, I'm not going to get bent out of shape about someone calling me he, him. I don't actually really love either, um, but it at least signifies that like I do consider myself non-binary in a way. For me, non-binary is not what I physically show to the world. Um, and I think that that's, you know, a nuance that a lot of people get kind of caught up in not understanding that it's not necessarily the way that I'm in dress presenting myself to people that it's very much what goes on in my brain every day which is the important thing exactly you know and i think you know uh, the aesthetic choices that just like as society we have decided like this is what identifies as someone that's queer someone that's you know a man someone that's a it's for me that's what's interesting about fluidity is that it's not just about an aesthetic it's actually a very deep down emotional, mental, kind of physical response to things. Um, and that's that's how I see it. That's how I've always seen it. But, you know, we're still having just the like base level conversations that people are not really understanding. So getting in depth about that is sometimes difficult, um, especially within creative world. Ryan Fluga is a friend that I am so excited to have on the open up to share his wisdom and stories and perspective with you. Ryan has photographed people like Meryl Streep, if you've heard of her, Angelina Jolie, her as well, Pharrell Williams, Lil Nas X, Jim Carrey, Demi Lovato, Nicole Kidman, Barack Obama, to name a few. The list does go on. But what's most interesting about Ryan is he probably wouldn't even say that that is his favorite work. It might be what he's most known for. But what he loves as an artist is the body of work that he has that extends way into his past and is rooted in his own life story. Interpersonal connection, mental health, the reality of humanity. The portraits that tell stories of real people in the world, not because they're famous, but because they're valuable. And in his most recent work, a book collection of photographs telling the stories of queer and interracial couples across America. Ryan also has a dedicated personal passion of his own 
to photograph queer artists within the industry to help uplift them, which is actually how he and I met. I love Ryan and the energy and passion and wisdom that he shares with us on this episode and as a person in the world all of the time. He's very free on Instagram and will let you know what is up. And so if you want to stay in tune with what's going on, definitely go and follow him if you don't already. And in our episode today, Ryan is going to talk about the impacts of growing up in a family who are navigating their own mental health journeys, the impacts of being outed as a 13-year-old, not today, when he was 13, and how that was a different time and circumstance altogether, and how it's his life path, just as much as his talent, that has led him to be the photographer and in the position that he's in today. And how, at the same time, as a diverse-labeled artist, he can often go unsung, undervalued, and niched. We talk about pride campaigns, a big conversation about pride and the commercialization of pride. Both of us weigh in on that a little heavily. Ryan shares the reality of being a photographer versus the queer photographer label that gets stuck on him so often. The inherently racist history of photography as an industry, which I didn't even know. And how creating a much better industry of entertainment and a better world as a result has to include supporting and understanding diverse people, diverse stories, and diverse artists in the most authentic way possible. I will tell you right now that Ryan has a TED Talk on YouTube called Photography as a Salve for Loneliness. It is fantastic. You should definitely check it out. And I give you that heads up because this episode, to me, feels like a mega bonus TED Talk that we get to share exclusively with you on the open up. I barely speak. I feel like I'm in the audience. There is so much wisdom there. I just, I rate it so much. And that's why I'm so excited to get to share it with you. I'm so grateful to Ryan for coming on the open up, for sharing not only his perspectives as a photographer, but also his life story and his truth and being vulnerable and sharing the private parts of his life for a better understanding for those who are willing to listen. So as you can tell from this massive intro, I'm a big fan of this episode and I hope you really enjoy it. Thank you so much for being here. This is episode four, opening up the photography industry with the iconic Ryan Fluger. It's so funny researching you because you're my friend. So I don't research you. Like I don't Google you. But like doing that for the first time, all this stuff is coming up and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> it's so impressive. And I'm like so re-inspired just seeing things that you're already talking about and, and, and just the core of you that I understand person to person, you utilizing that, which I know is not always in a way that's most comfortable for you. Uh, so mm -hmm. that it has a greater benefit of sharing awareness with people is incredible. And I, I love seeing those things. And in one of the videos I saw, you um, you described yourself as a cisgender queer male. Would that labeling, hate the word, uh, is that still true today as we're talking now? Yeah, yes, yeah, it's still true. And, you know, it's um, it's funny even just talking about like researching me or stuff like that, where it's like, I've I've realized now in like the world of social media and the internet that f for me, a lot of the stuff that I've said publicly recently is stuff that I've been saying for 15 years. It's been stuff that I've been saying privately. It's been stuff that I've been saying at lectures. It's stuff that I've said on panel discussions, but it was also pre everything being video recorded or audio recorded. So, you know, a lot of times when people are like, oh, you know, like, you're jumping on the bandwagon or like, why are you saying this now? And it's like, actually, like, I know for a fact, like I'm one of the few people in my field that's always been very public about it and sometimes aggressively publicly about it. Um, and it's really important to speak. And at the same time, it comes with a cost. You don't seem to me to be someone who is often intimidated by the cost, but I know that you can still feel it. Is that often a balance for you that's present in your life? It's definitely a mental daily struggle. 
um, because there are days where I wake up and I'm like, I could have totally went about this differently. I wouldn't have been authentic to myself, but I would have been in a much more stable position than I am now. And then like a few hours later, I'm like, well, fuck it. Like, that's just not me. And that's why I've, I've continued existing and doing the things that I do because I know that it's important and anything less would just be disingenuous. And I don't want to live my life that way. We never have. I never, I never really had the choice. I think that that like really stems just from my childhood and the way that I grew up and understanding that if I wanted to do anything, it needed to be done authentically and honestly. And what was the major factor that made you feel that from such an early point? Uh, was it specifically uh, experiences and relationships with family and your environment? Was it specifically understanding your identity and how it might be different from what was normally uh, set as a standard or normally accepted? Yeah, I mean, I. it's like one of those things where it's like my background is so important to my personal story, but I never want it to be like, you know, I've said this so many times, like I just a really like sad this American life where it's just like, okay, like it, it's nothing significantly special, but it's special in how it affected me. Um, you know, both of my parents were addicts. Um, my mom and dad, my, my dad is manic depressive. My mom is bipolar. So, all of that kind of culmination with me then being outed at a really early age, I was outed when I was 13. And it kind of was just like, I, I'm my only spokesperson. Like I'm the only person that can get things done for myself because I was in such an environment where no matter what, I was going to be gaslit. I was going to be, you know, made to feel guilty for having needs or wanting people to understand me. And it just was like, no, I just need to understand myself and fuck everyone else. It's something I love about you. And, and you really inspire me as a friend is that you, you hold so you hold your, your own integrity so closely and so dear. And you really, uh, even in, I guess, the relatively short time that I've known you, you always champion that as a theme and also celebrate that in me as well, which I, one of the many reasons why I just see you as such a shiny, valuable human uh, to me and all other people that get to interact with you because you really do focus on the authenticity and value of self in all people and all identities. That's why I became a photographer. In terms of being outed, uh, you said 13 years old. Like I, I came out when I was 16 um, in the, the way that I controlled and that was, I hate the term coming out, but for me it was just sharing my truth that seemed to be um, pre-misunderstood before me even having any conversation with it. I never had a conversation with anyone and told them I was straight and yet everyone seemed to just settle with that information as fact. Isn't that fascinating? Yep. Um, I could do a whole podcast about me just talking about that. But for you specifically, obviously being outed is a horrible experience for anyone at any point in their life. But what was that like for you, particularly at 13? How did that happen? What, what kind of impact did it have on you? Or maybe does it still have a kind of impact on you now? Yeah, it still does kind of have an impact on me now. Just in terms of, um, you know, I think, I don't know if it's necessarily like jealousy, but like I see kids now and I'm just like, oh man, if you like only knew, like if you had, you know, it's that that age old, like when your parents are like, well, when I had to walk to school, you know, it was like three <laughs> miles in the snow and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, it, it wasn't good. There wasn't a, there wasn't people that were accepting. I grew up, you know, I grew up in Flushing, but I moved to Long Island. It was a very, it was like 96% Italian Catholics. It just was not, it was not it in any way. And, you know, even in, even before I was outed, like in elementary school, it was like all of like the like jockey boys would like, I mean, the irony, they would like sing Why Are You Gay to the theme song of YMCA. And I'd be like, oh, man, you guys don't even get how funny this is. 
because, like, even in you making fun of me, you're making fun of yourselves in some way. And, but, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but it also, in relative terms, like, as an adult now, it's like, it wasn't the worst. But I think because of the, the combination of a lot of other factors, it took me a while to get to the place where I could do all the self-work to be like, I need to really explore who I am as a person because I, I know who I am, but I like don't know what that means to my place in the world. And, you know, I think you just saying like the assumption of like, no one asked me if I was straight. That was just kind of the, I think that f- for me, it was just like not having any, you know, people or things to educate to be given to me as education at an early age where it was like the the internet wasn't a thing like you know I had prodigy on my computer when I was like you know in a junior senior in high school what's prodigy exactly what's prodigy it was like one of the first (laughs) like it was like pre-aol you know it was just like not you know we had it on our family computer it just was not it was difficult. It was difficult to like find, you know, I would go into Barnes and Noble and I would like secretly look at books in a corner, just trying mm-hmm. to like figure out what this meant and like what this meant for my future. Um, and, you know, once I got to college, it was just like, all right, give me boyfriend. Like, just like give me everything because <laughs> I have, I have no one here that knows me. So it was such an easy way to just be like, all right, fuck it. This is who I am. Deal with it. And you know, it, it, I didn't, I felt safe. I felt safer at least, um, to be authentically me. Um, and then it, it kind of just stayed with me and never left. Thank the heavens. Yeah. So in a way it sounds like it, it accelerated your growing up process of, of becoming your own solid, independently standing human being. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I had parents that did the best that they could, but they also were not, um, parents in a lot of ways. And, you know, it's, I don't have a, you know, I don't have a relationship with my mother and that's like, you know, every queer person's always like, I love my mom. And it's like, I fucking hate my mom. And that's just my personal story. And I'm actually super close with my dad. And that took work and, but he was willing to put the work in. And I think that's, you know, that's always the the real barometer for me is like, even on initial conversation, if someone's willing to ask the questions or listen and not um, debate you on what you, you know, your reality is. And, you know, that has a hundred percent moved into my career and kind of what I fight against of like constantly feel like I'm being gaslit, like where I just feel like, no, I, I, I've been doing this long enough that just facts are facts. And it's not just because a lot of people aren't saying it doesn't mean that it isn't true. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's something, especially in like current environment is that, people think that you have to be one thing where it's just like, okay, everyone now has finally understood that black lives matter. And it's like, okay, welcome to the club. Come back to me in 10 years, because there's also so much you don't understand about how nuanced white supremacy is and how it literally has, is what created homophobia in the first place. Do your research. And it's like, and then realize that like, the way this trickles down is that it actually affects everyone else. And as a queer person, while I have all of the benefits of my whiteness, when you narrow that down to a specific field and you don't have people saying anything, it becomes very clear that it doesn't matter if you're black or if you're Asian or if you're queer, it literally is all the same things. And unfortunately there isn't a ton of people speaking up about it. And since George Floyd, every publication, every advertiser has decided the solution is not actually let's 
address what all the systematic issues are. Instead, the solution is we're just going to hire black photographers now and just have black people on the cover of every magazine. And there's the solution. We did our work. And it's like, one, you're not taking into account how that actually makes black people feel when for years you wouldn't even respond to them. And now you're idolizing and tokenizing them in a way that is just as disrespectful because you're not actually creating a conversation and an environment to make this feel like it's actually a sustainable thing because it's not sustainable at all. And, you know, that's still pretty much the case. And as soon as someone speaks up about being like, hey, so like, what's your structure of the hiring process? Who is actually the people in charge making the hires? And where's your accountability of actually having some sort of statistical analysis of understanding, oh, okay, like we're just hiring black photographers, but we're also just hiring the same five black photographers and we're doing the same thing that we did with straight white dudes for forever. So like, it's, there's just, it's so simple. And at the same time, it's so complex because people make it that way because they're not willing to do the work. Do you find that you are labeled as a queer photographer rather than just a photographer? And if so, do you have any feelings about that? I mean, I have all the feelings about it. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, you have to, you have to identify yourself to separate yourself out from the masses in one aspect. It's because it's also, it's just like the environment that it is where it's like, as soon as I separate, separate myself out, which I've done from day one, Mm -hmm. it automatically comes with the cost of, okay, you're only considered in this realm. And that is not at all exclusive to my profession. It's literally any creative profession where it's like, oh, you're then identified as only being able to exist in this realm when roles reversed any, you know, straight white dude, straight blonde white lady, you can be an expert on anything. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. And it's like, for me, I always, it's like, I'm an artist first, I'm a photographer second, and then I'm queer. Like that's, and it's like my queerness 100% infiltrates everything I do. And that's like the key, you know, important thing to me where it's like it doesn't matter if i'm photographing my community or doing something about my personal identity no matter what it is it's me so no matter what i end up photographing or being put on assignment with i'm bringing that history and experience to that moment and i think that's the problem um just in general of people not understanding that like that's what makes me special. That's what makes me different. But it also doesn't mean that I am not able to exist in other spaces and bring that into that space. And that's always what I found severely lacking. It's like, especially, you know, for you as an actor, it's like more actors have won Oscars portraying our community. And, you know, where it's just like, you know, we have James Corden getting a nomination for being the most stereotypical gay man where it's like that does our community no no justice whatsoever and also it's like i'm just i'm just like tired of that narrative i'm tired of those stories it's like i want to see just the story of someone's life with the aspect that they're queer being part of it but that's not what the story is about and that's always what i say about me that's like it's it's me, but it's not what my story is about. My story is about 9,000 other things that have also led me to be the human that I am right now. And, you know, that's why, like, identity politics and representation, all of it, I d- often don't want to have the conversation because I know that the response I'm going to get is either defensive, not actually listening to the words coming out of my mouth, or kind of being yesed which I've found in my world of photography and 
working in editorial world and especially advertising world that I get the like, oh yeah, like I totally, you know, appreciate how vocal you are and I appreciate what you do for your community and then, or I'm such a fan of your work. And then these people never hire me and it has nothing to do with my work not being good enough. It has everything to do with, oh, you have a picture of Obama next to a picture of a dude naked and that makes me uncomfortable. And it's like, no, that's why I'm doing that because that's actually what my work is. My work is showing you that this is the full spectrum of what I bring to the table and this is how I relate to people. And if you can't look outside of that, of just being like, oh no, there's a, a dude photographing another dude with a dick. Ugh. And it's like, oh, okay, that's really what you're going to get caught up on. And it's like, if I didn't have all the experiences where that's happened to me, where I've had art buyers be like, never send me Ryan Fluger's work. And it has nothing to do with my work not being good enough. Wait, that happens? Oh, a hundred percent. Based off of the label that you have? Based off of the work that I've made. You also have to remember that a lot of, um, especially when I made the decision to do editorial and go into that world when I finished grad school, because I didn't come for money. I needed to pay my rent. And starving artist in New York, like, that wasn't going to be my thing. I was always a workaholic and I was like, I need to figure out a way that I can make some money, make work that pays my bills. So that way I can make my own work. And that, that realm is just not um, very conducive to people like me. That's just the way it is. Cause a lot of photographers in that world, they don't make personal work. They don't have a, you know, a thing that they have to live with every day and be like, I need to make work because that's how, that's how I live. Every morning I wake up and I'm like, okay, like I'm thinking about my own work and what it is that I'm trying to do. But a lot of advertising and commercial and editorial photographers don't have that. They're just like, I make pretty pictures. I, I photograph high fashion where it's like, there's nothing, there's nothing deeper than it's like you are an excellent technician but like the soul is not there we've had conversations um before you joining us today on the show about pride for example uh the organized event to celebrate the queer community to use that umbrella term um but specifically about how companies uh, magazines, whatever it is, any any body that has a public face are suddenly all about a pride flag and buy our merchandise, buy our product because there's a flag on it or because we hired a gay person to do this or we hired someone who's trans or queer to be on this cover or to wear this shirt or to make this design. And I know that we've both spoken to this sentiment of the same as it's Black History Month this month, it should be Black History Month every month. And why isn't there a White History Month? Because that is already every month and always <laughs> has been. And yeah, it's, so it's it, every fucking waking Every moment. moment. And that if when you are that, when you don't have to consider any other reality or, or identity, of course that's not something you're going to think about. But when who you are at your core is put, not because of you, but because of your environment, specifically at odds with what is normal and happens every day. You feel it every day. Like Brian just said, in yeah. every waking moment, you are aware that the environment around you is built against you without you doing anything wrong, without you doing anything. You come into the room at odds from the start. Yeah. And I've, I've definitely found it particularly uh, infuriating, insulting, for many reasons, but the main ones being uh, Pride Month seems to be the only month that a lot of companies care or want to show that they care or make a genuine effort to empowering and showcasing uh, the value of the queer community. And it's almost always done around a system that provides them profits off of the stories and value of other people without really investing it back in meaningful ways. Some people do, some companies do, some companies do it year round. 
I don't think it happens nearly enough. And I don't think there's nearly enough conversation around the fact that I find it kind of disgusting that queer identity gets commercialized for really the benefit of businesses more than anyone else. I find that quite disgusting. Yeah. I think that's why like I've always talked about like behind the scenes because that's always like what what people are not they're not aware of to even think about where it's just like, you know, I think of people like Ava DuVernay who's been so prolific in the way that she addresses this is not just about who's in front of the screen. Um, you know, Alma Harrell also does that where it's like this is not this isn't about just that. This is about the grand scheme of things where it's like, all right, who who is on set with you? And it's like, honestly, besides my own personal team, 95% of the time, there is not another queer person there. And it's that in itself is like, it's already an environment where it's like, okay, I feel different. Okay, I have, you know, someone I've never met before being like hey girlfriend and it's like oh we are not girlfriends we're definitely not girlfriends like it's just that kind of uh, um trying to make things comfortable where it's just like no you're actually doing the opposite i know this just as like being behind the scenes only until like probably two years ago did companies even start hiring queer photographers to shoot pride campaigns last uh, 2019 was especially the year of like you know i knew what jobs i was up for i knew what jobs i did i knew what jobs other queer photographers did where it was just like okay like most of these campaigns are being done by queer people for once but also you know the money is less than what any of these companies pay for a regular campaign wait like what significantly less are you like, kidding oh i i have no qualms saying it in 2019 ralph lauren asked me to do their pride campaign i was here in california it was in new york it was going to be i think it was like five or six subjects all inclusive for everything like me flying my you know stay in new york my assistants post work everything five thousand dollars when normally on an advertising job, a photographer's day rate, just their rate for the day is $10,000 on an advertising job. That's like pretty industry standard. So like, I immediately was like, this is a joke. It's more offensive that you're even at, as if we're not aware. It's like, yeah, just because I don't book a ton of advertising jobs doesn't mean that I don't know what the system is. But it, it's things like that where it's like these companies are always in, you know, Black History Month, Pride Month, you know, uh, any sort of month <laughs> that's deemed like, okay, we're going to actually like acknowledge these people. <laughs> this is the month when people will matter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, the money that is spent is always less than. It's always, it's never of, <laughs> it's always of lesser value. It's never of equal or greater value. It's always of lesser value. So when you look at it in that kind of narrow lens, it's like, okay, then think about the 11 other months of the year. Something you just spoke to about having experiences in the industry professionally, where you already, from a personal cultural standpoint, can feel less than in a room. And then the way that you are treated more often than not can make you feel less than it sounds like and then having no one to share that experience or burden with makes it sound like a very solitary life for someone who was drawn to something specifically because of how connecting it would be the irony i know (laughs) i mean that just that sounds upsetting to me from an industry point of view that's the the forward to my memoir I started photography because I didn't feel comfortable um, in social settings. I didn't feel comfortable. Um, It wasn't that I didn't feel comfortable in myself. I just like am a pretty private person in terms of like, I like to be by myself. And 
the act of photography, the process of it allowed me to kind of have this like shield where it was like, oh, I have this camera that is acting as like this conduit to me being able to actually have conversations. And, you know, 90% of the time, it's like those conversations are about the person I'm photographing. They're not about me. And I don't want them to be like, I, I it's, it's become a way for people to open up. I think also what gives me the knowledge that I have is that I've allowed myself to listen to experiences that are so different than mine and ones that I may not ever understand, but they've given me all these like little nuggets of information of also how I can connect other people because it's like I have information of experiences that are outside mine and like that's what gives me life. Like, And that's also what frustrates me about being, you know, pigeonholed as a queer person where it's like, yes, I have that, my queerness that I'm able to bring to someone else, but it's like, I want things outside of that. I've never gone into a community spent a few weeks, did some photos and left. Like that's just not, doesn't do anything for anyone except for the photographer. And I, you know, when I was in grad school and like started having, you know, my first like trans friends and it was all these things where it was like, I never wanted to feel like I was infiltrating a community I wasn't a part of. Queer has become this such this umbrella term, and it's like there's still lots of things that I I can never relate to, but photography has allowed me to have really intimate small insights into communities like that that I would never have otherwise. But I've been able to see like the parts of humanity that like I understand within those experiences that have allowed me to be like okay like. This is such a time of people just starting to understand how ingrained they've been with things that are fact that are not. And that is not something that can be changed in a year. That's not something that can be changed in a lifetime. And I think the overwhelmingness of that causes people to just be like, okay, well, I'm going to just stick to my guns. And... That's why we have the environment we have now. Oh, this is just why people like you, uh, not just as the person you are, but the art that you pour your life into offering to people is so valuable, I believe, today more than ever, because it's exactly what you said. You are offering a very small insight into what it is like in the life world environment of others different to you and of a different experience from you. And that allows you even a small beginning percentage of understanding that you would not have had otherwise. And if we really pay attention to what photography is, to what your art is, to what these artists are, who are giving us a look into the experiences of others, rather than just seeing something as a cute image to get a bunch of likes, we might actually start to touch on something that does connect us more and that does reveal a more interesting and valuable conversation than just how many followers do I have or oh what a nice green and blue contrast clearly I don't I'm not a photographer but (laughs) you can actually you can talk about wow how incredible that this person has been portrayed in this way where typically they never have I would never have thought to have looked at someone who is this identity on paper in this way of having such sensitivity and vulnerability before that's so fascinating. It can speak to people's realities and update them, if you like. As, you know, gay men, before I, like, identified more as queer and later on in life, but, you know, as an art form, like, it quickly becomes, you know, sexualized or in a way that, like, people outside of our community just don't get. And also don't get that, you know, that's a very, it's a big part of like need and want because also we don't see it. So it's like you you take something away from someone enough. It's like, that's all they're going to be thinking about. And so they're going to just keep making work about it. I think for me personally, like I, 
I make softer work. Like I make work that's kind of melancholy and at the same time joyful because I'm, I'm looking at people under, you know, no pun intended, but under that lens of like life and, you know, it, while I had like said earlier, like I'm exceptional, it's like there's also so many other exceptional photographers that are that are queer or non-binary or trans that are in, you know, not even remotely in the place that I'm in of, you know, opportunity. And that's what I find the most frustrating. And that's why I am as vocal as I am, because I know that I have enough of a platform and enough of people knowing my work that I can say these things and it's going to reach people that it wouldn't normally because those people are scared to say them because they don't have any opportunities Mm. and you speak up and you get blacklisted or you get, you know, penalized or people talking down to you because it's like, no, no, no. Oh, you're just looking for a handout or, Oh, you just like aren't putting in the work. And it's like, I don't know any artist who isn't constantly putting in the work. That's constantly what they're thinking about. So sure. There's good art and bad art, but also there's a whole lot of good art that is not seen by people. And until I start seeing, you know, everything under the sun being consistently put in the spotlight, then I'm going to keep saying what I'm going to say because it's not, this isn't a a one month day, you know, one month out of the year. This isn't a, um, you know, some sort of like soapbox that I like and just like, Oh, I found my thing that I can fight for. It's like, no, this is like my everyday life and I'm tired and I am, if I know how tired I am, I cannot even imagine how tired, you know, so like one of my closest friends, my friend Eric, who used to assist me, and he's black, and he's queer, and he is truly one of the most talented people I know. And I can't even imagine the exhaustion he must feel. And, you know, not to have like, white tears but like that makes me sad because of my love for him and knowing that i have like a slight um ounce of understanding of what that exhaustion feels like and feeling so powerless at times most of the time that it's like you're yelling into a void that like no one's listening that sucks but because i know that i am in a slightly you know more privileged place, I'm going to be as loud as fucking possible. Do you find social media, Instagram specifically, devalues your work? I think it's valued by the people that are looking for value. It definitely devalues a lot of my time and worth in a lot of capacities. Um, I think that it's trivialized a lot. Um, I think that, you know, photographer is one of those things, you know, I think it's actually pretty exclusive to like creatives where it's like, you would never ask like a brain surgeon to be like, could you look up, you know, <laughs> see if my eyes are all right. You know, where it's like with this association with like, when you're a specialist in something, you're a specialist in something. And the amount of times that I've been asked about headshots or weddings or like, and, Oh, do you do your photographer? Oh, do you do Rick Carp? Oh, you're not a paparazzi. Or it's like, just like all of these things from people that don't, understand that it's like a really difficult and very in-depth career path where it's like I did not know when I went to grad school that like when I graduated I'd also have to be like an accountant and a business manager Mm. and like it's like the amount of work that it takes outside of just like the jobs themselves or the work itself it's like being self-employed and being your own champion is a full-time job and it's truly one of the few professions where that is 
at least 50% of the time, the thought process of someone where it's like, oh, like, I know that you're a photographer. Like, would you mind doing this thing? And it's like, you didn't even like lead this conversation with, so here's the project I have in mind. I don't have a really large budget, but I value you as a person. And I understand that if this is not giving you your worth, but I would like to somehow be able to work with you. It's like the amount of time it would take to have that two minute conversation and how much better it would make me feel. Just the way we frame conversations completely can change what we learn about each other and also the amount of respect that you're actually giving a person. Mm. There's very few professions where you're questioned at all times. And being a photographer, no matter how talented you are, no matter who you photograph, where it's like, I've photographed two sitting presidents and I still am like, oh, you're going to shoot me from that angle. And it's like, literally fuck off because I've literally spent my life doing this. Yeah. You have no idea. (laughs) And you're questioning what I am doing. Mm. If you want to pay my $120,000 of graduate school debt that I'm still paying off and have really not made a dent in, then you can question me until then go away. This theme of understanding proper respect yes. for you as an artist and the art that you create, it seems and sounds like it's very lacking. It's lacking in a lot of places of creative industry, but particularly in yours. It's why I love getting to talk to you and hear about this too, is that's not something I would have really known to think of or had an awareness of. And Well, no one talks about it. No, that, I mean, that's the main, it's like, I didn't know it until I had to start living it and being like, oh, this is what I signed up for? Because I don't, this sucks. Like, (laughs) all that, and like, this is not at all exclusive to me being a queer photographer. It's like, being someone that works for magazines, like, it's like, if people knew what people got paid, Mm -hmm. they would cringe. They would cringe at how disgusting it is. It's disgusting, honestly. Mm. And especially with the amount of expectations that are then attached to that, where it's like, oh, we need this now, we need this, you know, like, you can just get this over to us, right? Oh, you can do it. And it's like, no concept of, are you doing anything else besides this? Pro-? It's like, there's so many things. And then also, no safety net, no union. It's like, literally like no health insurance it's like literally no retirement plan it's like all of these things on top of that then you have to pay self-employment tax mm. then it, you have to have a good it's like so many things anyone outside this field is just like oh you have to photograph celebrities that's like, i wish i had that life and i'm like bitch if you knew if you knew if you had any remote like if you just didn't get a paycheck for a week right Tell me how that feels Mm. and then let that be your life forever. And then tell me you want my life. Photography. (laughs) (laughs) Photography. (laughs) Photography. The amount of jobs that I've done that I've never gotten paid for. There's no one to complain to about it. Like it's literally just like every time that a, a check is late, sometimes I'm like, I may never get paid for this job. And you know what? There's nothing I can do about it. That's horrible. That's reality. And especially since pandemic times where it's like, no one's wanted to say anything because, you know, calling a spade a spade. A lot of black photographers that were not working that should have been working from the start of their career that are now working all the time. None of us want to take away from that. So it's like, everyone is so careful to say anything. And it's just like, okay, but also like, I've literally put in 15 years of work and got to a place where I was like, oh, this is like sort of what my income is every year to literally be making about 20% of that. And then to not speak on it would be wrong. Hmm. Where it's like, this systematically shows that there's problems in the way that you're doing things. Because exactly. it's it, it can't be either A or B. Like, it's just like, both of these were not working. So, like, let's actually have a conversation to, like, 
give some sort of safety and security to all of these freelancers because it's like I've I had made a post about it like maybe last week and it was the most engaged with post I have ever made mm. besides my time cover. It was the most engaged in post, the most shared post, and it was just like it was like this weird sense of like sadness and at the same time validation of just like, oh, I knew I wasn't crazy. Like I knew that like this is a problem and we go about our lives, you know, as if it's not most of the time, because it's like we were told that's what this business is. And you know what? That's what this business should not be. Because none of the people that are making your business exist are reaping the benefits of that. <sighs> Capitalism. <laughs> the next question that gets asked of Ryan is going to come from a new voice for you on the podcast. So just so you're not thrown, I want to let you know who that is. This is the voice of our fantastic producer, Gemma. Where do you sit with the discussion centering on maybe not just like successful white photographers i'm sure it's a problem in the industry in general but where people are talking about photographers not being able to light and photograph black skin in a flattering way here's the thing it's very true that there are a lot of photographers who do i I mean photography in itself is has has historically based on racism like that's just what it is um from down to like the chemicals that you know are used to process film were not you not meant for people of darker complexions and so it's like oh my i didn't know that oh yeah Uh, you know it has a long long history especially with kodak and it's frustrating because it's like i do do it really well that it baffles me sometimes how people really don't and i'm not here talking to like judge anyone else's aesthetic but i will say it is a significant problem within the industry not only with photographers but also with hair and makeup people not understanding how to actually do black hair where it's like certain there's been scenarios that I myself have been in where I'm just like mortified at the incompetence of knowledge and being able to sit with yourself taking on a job that you clearly know you cannot do. And I think the main conversation has always been, we have not been able to have control of our narrative in the first place, you know, talking about queerness where it's like, we have not been able to control our narrative, period. And it leads to this conversation of if we were more used to seeing on national publications that have very, very large readership, a consistent basis of Black people photographing Black people, we would have the visual vernacular to understand this is what it should look like to some degree, aesthetics aside, where it's like, this is what representing and putting in the care to your own community looks like so take note white people if you want to come into this space this is the lowest level of the bar and if you can't meet it go away and it's like that's how i feel about for me as a queer person where it's like i do not see in movies in magazines on television representations that i look at and i'm like oh, wow, I really see myself in that. And I really feel um, that there was care and thought and history put into portraying this on a consistent basis. And I'm not talking a year. I'm not talking five years. I'm talking decades and decades of looking at and being like, oh, like this is a new vernacular for us to understand. And then other people can come into that space. Because there's care and there's thought and there's understanding. And I think too many people take up space in places they don't belong in the first place. Mental health. Um, it's an awareness we should all have for ourselves and, and each other. But it's clear that there are so many themes you've touched on that must have an impact on that space for you. And I guess I wonder, I wonder if that's ever overwhelming at times or if you ever feel like, 
things specific about the industry that you are in and how it is structured, how that might have an impact and how direct that is or not on you and your own well-being? Yeah, I mean, I think the what I said earlier about kind of like the respect level, so many experiences that like are already emotionally difficult or emotionally draining become so much more so when I'm not respected or when I'm, it's like, I can't imagine ever entering someone's house and not knowing their name. And I literally could write a book on just the amount of people that just didn't know my name. It's something as simple as that. And I think mental health is like the biggest pandemic that globally we face. And something that I've always been very vocal about is like having to understand what mental illness is and also from my parents and also for myself and my own like depression and kind of as you know, an artist, like we're just more apt to be in that realm because we have to engage in those emotions and feelings in order to create. Mm. I think that if we all um, were taught when we were born that like, no matter what your gender, no matter what your identity or your sexuality or what region of the world you're from, that speaking on what you feel is not a weakness. I think that working in an industry that is callous in how they treat people, the mental health aspect is hard. And I know that it's damaged a lot of my friendships. It's damaged a lot of my relationships. I think that it's the main reason why I got a divorce because it is a weight that is not describable. And I think that if there was a, a space in the world where that kind of dialogue on a consistent basis with other people was okay, was deemed okay, that it was deemed a space that it's okay to talk about feelings, we'd all be doing a whole lot better instead of like sharing stupid dances on TikTok. Like that's, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I, I equate it to things like that where I'm just like, as a society, we can do so much better. And if we can take the time to do things like that, we can take the time to be like, hey, this person has been, like, screaming about how this thing is awful for 50 years. Like, maybe I should take five minutes and listen about it. So that's my takeaway on mental health. Ryan, I love you so much. I just think you're an icon. I really do. Even more than I already did. Hearing, I already know how you show up, but then hearing you speak, and hopefully in an environment where you feel most comfortable as well, everything that you have to offer is just so right to the point and so important. As you said, the spaces that already exist for us to communicate are often not being used. To communicate. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, essentially, they're being used for entertainment, yes, but again, it brings me back to the whole reason why this is one example of how I would like to show up in the world more by doing this podcast, is that entertainment isn't just, is only just entertainment if that's all you let it be. A hundred percent. Entertainment can just be a dance on TikTok if that's all you want it to be. But entertainment can also be an education. It can be communication. It can be sharing feelings. It can be helping lift somebody up. It can be shining a light in a corner of the world that nobody else ever gets to see. It can be empowering a part of you that's inside of you that you never knew was there. Entertainment can be so much more if we make the effort to let it be that. And I think you just spoke to that so beautifully. Thank you. I mean, thank you. Thank you for allowing the space. Like I really, I am, while I am a person that speaks their mind, it, it's difficult a lot of the times because a lot of times I feel um, very like imposter syndrome. I know deep down that like I've done the work and I've spent my career doing the work. And at the same time, I think, any good artist constantly questions themselves. And so I question my 
worth to the world and how I speak on things, but people don't say these things. Like these are the things that like I wanted to hear when I took hundreds of thousand dollars of loans out when I was in grad school. Like these are the things that I wish someone was just straight to the point about. What would you change about your industry just for one place? If you could, if you were given power for a day of all the things you've spoken about, what would be obvious things to you that you would adjust? Transparency, immediate. I think that's the biggest problem and the most kind of all-encompassing issue with my industry is that everything is so hush-hush. And it's like a lot of people coming into this industry don't know that. There's no transparency whatsoever, which also leads to there being no checks and balances whatsoever. There's no accountability. And it's like, it's because it's literally a system that doesn't allow that. It's been created in a way for that to not exist. So it's like, that would be my immediate, like, let's all be upfront. Thank you so much for being here and opening up with us so much more generously than I could ever have asked or imagined. I already feel so inspired, moved, and motivated. And I say those three words with genuine meaning, not as buzzwords. No, I know you do. You inspire me. And I'm so glad we got to have this talk today. And I'm even more privileged that we'll get to share it with other people to listen to as well, because it's truly incredible everything that you have to offer in your experience and and from your beautiful brain and i love you very very much i love you too and we love you too because you have reached the end of another open up conversation and honestly i don't even want to spend that much time doubling down on what ryan has already shared and expressed so brilliantly i just want to hit these points You might recognize at this point in the podcast already, certain themes are coming through, especially from certain identities within completely different industries of entertainment. What I noted in Ryan's episode is there's a continuing theme of depression as a result of the experiences as a diverse artist in the entertainment industry. There's another theme of being undervalued and underpaid For the same work that you offer as your counterparts who aren't diverse, that spans across different sectors of entertainment also. And I know it's not unique to only the guests that we've had on the show. And I also know it's not the only issues and obstacles and hurdles that entertainment has to face and overcome. But we have to do them step by step. And these conversations, we hope, can help share an awareness and a new focus on what needs to change and improve. Not just for these people as artists, but for these people as humans and their lives. Just like Ryan, be exactly who you are, be how you are, love who you are, love how you are. Know the light and the beauty that you bring to the world. There is always value in it. And don't let anyone or anything or any time of year make you feel more or less valuable because of how it decides to frame you. Remember your power, remember your place in your own success of work and of life. That's always got to come first. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to follow Ryan, he is on Instagram at Ryan Fluger. That is R-Y-A-N-P-F-L-U-G-E-R. And bear in mind everything that he shared about social media (laughs) and what kind of interactions he might most enjoy with you. I'm sure we would love to hear from you. And I want to thank him again for being so incredible in offering us this episode to share with you. And of course, thank you to our wonderful team of diverse artists who help bring the Open Up podcast to you every Sunday to enjoy. Our artwork is by Alec Liu. Our theme music is from Adsum and our additional music, which you're listening to right now, is from Jay Apple. I am Elliot Knight, your host, mixer and editor. And thank you, of course, to producer Gemma, whose voice debuted on the podcast this episode. Beautiful little voice. I hope you enjoyed it. We don't want any of our episodes to end here. There is a conversation that we've started and we would love for you to continue it. 
grab your phone if you're not already holding it, open up the gram and search the Open Up Pod. Or you can email us at hello at theopenuppodcast.com if you prefer and help us spread the word by opening up about what you heard. And if you want to keep the show alive, fill the stars to number five. And don't forget to please leave a review because we would love, we would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for being here. Take care of yourself and of the others around you. Thank you for listening. Continue to do that in your day. Listen to the world and the people around you. You'll find answers that you would never have even dreamed of. I guarantee it. And we'll see you next time for another Open Up. credit your photographers don't just tag them you don't even need to say something nice about me but it's like we're already giving up so much of ourselves how would you like doing a movie and like not being in the credits or you know or writing a book and being like by unknown it's respect